yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh. <laughs> we, we started a GoFundMe for Brendan uh, in his, um, his hip-hop career because I just see the talent he has. He doesn't see it, but I see it. And so <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, get him moving in the right direction to... Because I see him as the next... I, as the next great white rapper, and I'm sorry, I, I know that that's white privilege. My name, my 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 hip hop name is Limoncello. Ah, uh, yeah. See, I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to go with that. Uh, and as your as your manager slash the person taking 54 percent of your profits, uh, <laughs> I have to approve of every every artistic decision you make, and I'm not approving that one. You don't like Limoncello? No, I don't get it. Why? What are you talking about? It's 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 smooth. <laughs> cello as in the instrument cello? No, lemon cello is in the drink. <laughs> What's the drink? It's like are you kidding? You've never had lemon cello? I've never like heard a, of it. It's a it's like a cordial served like Italians drink it during the summertime. Ah, okay. No. Yeah. I see I haven't I haven't it's been a while since I've been to Italy. So um <laughs> Limoncello, the fellow. He's very mellow. You, <laughs> make you go yellow. <laughs> he likes to write his name in the snow when it comes out yellow. <laughs> okay, so uh, so today, you know, uh, actually, it's funny because whenever create a project and post it on Trello, <laughs> <laughs> some say he has no manners, but I say he's a disciplined fellow. Hear me bellow this rap. Oh, my God. Okay, so uh, as we always seem to do whenever my nephew and I start talking, which we did a few minutes before we started recording, we get into a political conversation, and we had sort of made a pact that we weren't going to talk about politics in this show, and we started— It just shouldn't be every episode, I right. think. Right, not I every think episode. I had a conversation with Ali over the weekend, and he was uh, like— Did you say Ali, like, Ali Income Free? The Ali— <laughs> The, the, our producer Ali. I don't even know if you can call him a producer. He's just a he's a he's a good guy who's who's doing a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Our tech. He does have our, two turntables and a microphone. So where it's at, Ali. Um, he two turntables and a microphone. That was a good drum break. This is actually my first single. Everything up until this point is on Limoncello's first single. Uh. This is really experimental rap. Most of it doesn't rhyme. Most of it has music. Listen to me. I'm like the jazz artist of rappers, okay? You You're gotta like listen the Miles to the Davis. Up. You gotta listen to the rhymes I'm not rhyming. Uh, so The genius is in the things in the midst of the things that don't rhyme. <laughs> it's in the spaces. It's in the spaces in between, as Dave Matthews said so poetically. <laughs> I, I, oh man. Speaking I, of Dave, I, Matthews, Dave Matthews, are you high right now? I, I should be, man. I should, I, nobody should have to face this pandemic sober. Have you ever, t have you ever tried a gummy? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, just curious. Have you? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm showing houses in eating gummies? Come on. That was actually the funniest sounding laugh I've ever heard you make. <laughs> that was good. Sounds like something out of the twenties. I haven't had 20s. this much fun since my last business transaction. <laughs> it sounded like something from, uh, like a cartoon from like the sixties or seventies from like Hanna Barbera, like a, the series <laughs> they never did about Wall Street corruption and the humor within it. <laughs> hey, Top Cat, how come you hanging out with these big Wall Street fat cats? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so back to what you were saying about no, just uh, Ali was Ali oh Ali 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 income free. He was like, uh, "Hey, um, you guys talk about are, anything but the same shit every time." Is every yeah? He's like, "You guys are really." He goes, "Look, you guys are really funny when you don't talk about politics." <laughs> yeah, he has to listen to us. That's the, he's the only person on earth required to listen to us. Can you think of a more thankless job? Would you rather break rocks on a chain gang or? Yeah, or, or, or come up with promotional excerpts from our podcast. If the court, if the court forced him to do it, it would be passed cruel off as and cruel unusual. Usual, yeah. It would be deemed a hate crime because of his <laughs> ethnic status. Yeah, I wanted to talk about cycling because you know what I mean. It's 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 Corona times. Everybody's got to get out and do something. And I've been spending a lot of my time over the last 
week uh, out riding a bike. Have you really? Running. I ran a 10K every day this past week. Uh, and I mean, you, you just you ran that distance. You didn't actually participate in an event. Correct. There was no event. 6.2 miles? And, I just went out and ran six and a half miles every day. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, pretty, pretty nuts. And then did still working with the steel mace and then rode my bike a lot. And I thought... Uh, my uncle, I know, I saw you on, uh, you, you had logged a, were you on Strava? Is that where you were? You had logged a bike ride somewhere? Yeah, I've been on Strava for about five years. There you go. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that's right. I forgot that my uncle really enjoys riding bikes and, uh, and riding, you know, either motorcycles or bikes in general. And I thought we should talk about that because we never really talked about it before. And I think it's a good thing to do, especially if you're like looking for something to do. You know, during the Corona pandemic situation, you should you should check out riding a bike. In fact, Gloria went and bought a bike for the first time, and it was actually hard to do because they were sold out along this, in the city of Chicago. They were just all sold out. Wow. Totally, totally well, that, sold out. It was like almost impossible to find one. Well, that's got to be uh, a great city to ride a bike in simply because of that stretch along Lake Michigan where, you know, the la- I, I recall I've been there, you know, a num- I've been to Chicago a bunch of times. And one of my most vivid memories is um, the time we gang raped that girl. No, um, I'm kidding. I, I blocked that out for the most part. Um, no, the um, God, Uncle Mike. I'm kidding. She, we thought honestly, she we thought we thought she gave us her consent. Um, but it was hard to understand her with that, you know, with that towel in her mouth. But um, oh my god, oh my god, man! It was it was her panties. This is where humor um, can't. This is these are places humor can no longer can no longer go. Right, but see, I'm like the I'm like the old crazy grandpa that just doesn't understand how the needle has changed in terms of socially acceptable conduct. So, grandpa, you can't call him Chinaman. So anyway, yeah, I, of course, all of that was a joke. She was of age. She cashed the check. So, you know, our, our case is absolutely slam dunk if she ever files charges. She's not going to file charges now. But anyway. No, I think she got deported a few years later. Right, right, right. After after you used her as that, uh, you know, a sex slave, which I was totally against. I told you not to do that. But you're like, but she already, you know, you said she was good. I'm like, well, okay, but that doesn't mean it's a good idea. Anyway, back to the freaking point. Could you just stay on the freaking, my God, it's just so hard to have a conversation with you. Um <laughs> These millennials. Uh, my, one of These my most mi- vivid memories of Chicago is watching this this horde of people riding bikes on along the lake. It is just a spectacular setting. Spectacular. Is that where? You, so how much how much do you ride these days? I, a bunch, man. I'm riding the bike almost every day. Uh, you can ride you can ride down the Lakeshore Trail up and down the whole city. And not only that, but a lot of the a lot of, depending on the road, like Lincoln, Milwaukee, uh, Clark, uh, Halstead, just all these different roads that sort of cut through the whole city of Chicago, they have a dedicated bike lane. And it's pretty easy to get around the city. They've also got a couple of old, um, a lot of major cities are doing this now, a couple of really old railroad tracks, uh, like raised Oh, yeah, Detroit tracks. has that. Yeah, Detroit has that. Um, the... The High Line in New York is the same thing. Coulee Vert in Paris is the same thing. They're just these old railroad tracks. They turn into a path, a bike path, and you can get through the whole city pretty quickly on it. And uh, Chicago is pretty much the same. And the, the bonus, though, is that Chicago is just all flat. The whole city is just, I think, like, there's a 60-foot elevation change in, like, the whole city. So there's barely any. Yeah, it's like that. doesn't hardly go up at all. Oh, wow. Now that I think about it, yeah, that is the way it looks and feels. So you can kind of you can kind of bomb around the city just pedaling your way all around. And downtown has dedicated bike lanes also. I mean, and when I say dedicated, I don't just mean, you know, downtown isn't like, oh, the side of the road has a white line and that's the bike lane. I mean, there is a bike lane. There is a there is an entire a, lane devoted an to entire bikes. lane painted green that's devoted just to bikes. And and that is separate from the regular traffic. And you can get around pretty quickly. I would um, think with the density of traffic in Chicago, which is very dense, and in fact, the last time I went through it, which was maybe two years ago, I could not believe the density of the traffic as I drove through the city to get to the northern suburbs. Uh, specifically, I was going to Libertyville. 
Oh yeah. Um, to visit my college roommate Pete Duguid. Two years ago, isn't that when the Libertyville killer made that strange resurgence for no yeah. reason? Yeah, yeah. I told you. I mean, like you thought I couldn't do it, and I'm like, watch this, dude. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, I recall it took me like an hour to get through what felt like five miles. I mean, the, the traffic was just insane. So it's it's hard for me to picture how bikes could move free, freely through that gridlock. I don't. How, do that, how does that work? Well, yeah, I mean, there's that. That's why there's that dedicated lane. Right, but you still got to um, cross some other street that's full of cars. You know, and the light changes, I guess. But it seems like it seems to me it would be hard to get any momentum going. You'd constantly be stopping at lights, don't don't you? Well, not well. That's the thing is like bikes kind of casually don't don't obey the, the same laws. Yeah, right. in the city totally. of Chicago. So like, you know, stopping at stop signs, you kind of just look both ways and then go through. Or not or, even that. You just go through. Or you just go through. Or um, you – like if you come to the, the the stoplight, you know, if there's nobody coming the other direction – or there's two things that happen. First is that pedestrians get to walk before cars get to go. And as soon as a pedestrian sign changes, all the bikes just go. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's like, I don't know, five seconds or six seconds of time, which is enough time on a bike to just get – Oh, yeah. Like, just that's plenty rip off of time. and get going. Yeah, that's plenty of time. And – and so consequently, you can navigate the city a lot faster when you're on a bike. Actually, uh, that makes sense. It's really nice, man. I mean, it's nice to ride around. I think it's one of the things that is kind of cool about living in a city is that you can commute to work um, mostly by walking. Maybe you ride public transit yeah. for a minute. I mean, not I've always anymore. wanted to do that. I've always wanted <laughs> yeah. to do that. It's pretty easy. It's why people in the cities typically have less body fat percentage than people who live in the suburbs. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, they Absolutely. have to, they just walk more often. Oh yeah, car culture versus, you know, commute culture, totally different thing. In fact, I recall, you know, I've said this a couple of times. I worked in New York for 2 months once. Mm -hmm. And uh, loved it. I'm absolutely, you know, it was my first real exposure to the city. I'd been there before, but very briefly. So, to, you know, to visit it versus to live there for 2 months is a whole different experience. And I just loved that that was one of the aspects I loved about being there was the fact that it's just instant. You see it instantly. You look around, and it's like there's so much fewer obese people. So yeah. much. I mean, the percentage is insanely different. Like, in fact, when you see somebody that's really large, it kind of shocks you because you, yeah, because you're it's part of you is like, what are you? How do you? What do you pay for taxis everywhere? Right. <laughs> and and there's a, in a something that I you know you wouldn't really anticipate unless at least I wouldn't. I didn't anticipate it is. There's a competitive aspect to simply walking around in New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's you like wanna, people you like wanna to win. You do. <laughs> I mean, people. It's like you're racing everyone all the time for everything, and uh, you know, it's just it's just interesting. And just being in the city, the it's just so conducive to walking. I think I told you this story about I was in, in one another time I was in New York. For, I used to go every January for this real estate conference that I used to speak at every year. And there, several times I was there, they had they had near re record or near record snowfalls just randomly. And this one <laughs> time I was there, I think they had something like thirty two inches or twenty four inches of snow. I was one of the that last. Sounds... I was one of oh, the no. last flights that was allowed to land on. I believe it was like a Tuesday night. The conference was from like Wednesday through Friday or Tuesday through Friday, something like that. And so basically, the conference almost didn't even go on because. So many people weren't able to get there. Like half the people were there. So anyway, I took advantage of that, and I went out one day, and I just walked. And I had no, mm -hmm. I had no plan. And I walked yeah. twelve point nine miles, and I it was just one of the most memorable days of my life, just because of the, you know, the adventure of that. Yeah. Where did you Where did you go? Do you remember where you went? Uh, well, actually, I did have one one specific destination. Um, there's a uh, ironically related to this topic we're talking about and um, in in uh, motorcycling or in the world of motorcycle jackets there's a company called shot which is spelled oh yeah S -C -H -S -C -H -O -T -T. shot yeah or is it s-h-o-t-t no it's s-c-h-o-t-t yeah, but whatever so you're familiar with it but they have you know the awesome really high end high grade motorcycle jackets that are like you know for a decent one starts probably 800 bucks yep and they they're not commonly sold. You know, like you, you don't just walk into, like it probably in the state of Michigan, I think I looked this up. I think in the state of Michigan, there might be five places that sell them in a store. 
and it's, yep. you know, they don't, nobody has like a really good selection. So that shot is headquartered in Manhattan, or at least their flagship store is there. So that was my ambition was to go to that store. So I, I started off in that direction and I went there and uh, it was interesting because I got there and the place was just like a fraction of the size I expected it to be. You should go check it out next time you're there. Yeah, um, I've been to the one. There's a dealership. There's a shot store in Chicago on Milwaukee. Oh, really? Yeah. The one. Is it decent size? See. It's, uh, it's near Wicker Park. It's a really tiny shop, but I mean, it's like exactly. It's like the best. It's like amazing yeah. jackets. I mean, oh, exactly yeah. like you described. Oh, yeah. I know the shot in New York. It's on. I just looked this up while we were talking about it. It's on Elizabeth Street near Prince Street. It's in Soho. I lived yeah, yeah, yeah. literally like five blocks from there. Six really? Blocks from there. Yeah. Really? No. How? What? So is that where is that? I'm thinking that's south, right? Yeah, it's it's in south of Houston. So Soho is south of Houston Street. Right, and right, it's right. Just to it's just west one street west of Bowery. So it's. It's kind of like uh, so. So if somebody understands New York. It's basically um, the famous Princess Street Pizza is like right near it. Princess Street Pizza is supposedly supposed to be the best pizza in New York. I mean, everybody's always talking about that, but it has a line out the door all the time. It's literally right around the corner on Elizabeth Street, the Shot Boutique. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's so, fascinating. I knew that. I thought I had walked by that. Yeah, I've, I used to walk by that place all the time. It's near uh, old old St. Patrick's Basilica. So I, that was my that was my one uh, actual objective for the day. But you know, I just kind of went in that direction, and then I went, you know, I deviated all over the place, and then I went further south. And anyway, I left, and it was you know, the sun was high in the sky, and I came home well past dark, and I just yeah. walked the whole time. I did stop and have a meal somewhere, yeah, um, which was you know, I, that's another thing I love about New York is just that. You know, you can't possibly experience everything that's there in a lifetime, in my opinion. You could spend no. your entire life eating Same out every yeah. single meal, and you'd never get everywhere. And so that just wander around and discover places thing, uh, to me, that's one of the most fun things you can do in life. Oh, man, it's like the best. And it's 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 how satisfying. I want to talk about, like, two things that kind of came up, because we can, and we can get back to cycling in a second and biking and stuff. But, like, it it's so satisfying to just to to live in a place where you just go i'm just gonna go wander around and then just be able to go do that and see stuff and like that my favorite things to do in paris was i would just wake up and then i would just go i would go today i'm gonna head northwest and then i would just head in that direction and kind of get lost until i got hungry and then i'd find a place to eat or until like i had to do something and then i would just jump on the metro and head back home and the same thing you can do easily in new york is just decide to go you know, for an adventure and, and so much of the neighborhoods especially in manhattan especially around brooklyn and into the bronx i've never been to staten island i have no idea what that's like but if you go around the city the, the neighborhoods are so different from place to place and they have their own history and they have you know all kinds of like old churches and different landmarks and places that have been open since like 1850. I mean, one of the coolest places was down the street from the apartment I was living in on uh, on Seventh Street, um, and it's like Seventh and Second uh, between Second and um, Broadway, I think, if, if if I'm right. Anyway, this place is uh, called McSorley's, and it's opened in like 1840. It's the oldest continuously operated bar in New York. Wow. And it never closed. They only serve two types of beer, dark and light. <laughs> it's the same recipe they've used for 170 wow. years, 180 years. And it's beer there once. And like there was just a whole bunch. And all this stuff, all the shit is on the walls. They've never taken anything down since like the 1970s. So like there's things on the walls that are, you know, World War One photos of the of World War One veterans who came back after the war ended and had a beer at McSorley's. And wow. like. That kind of stuff you could just wander around and like discover, you know what I mean? It's just so satisfying to to do that kind of thing. And then the second thing I was going to say is just in reference to shot is I it is so satisfying to buy like a nice thing, to have like a nice piece of clothing, like a, oh, yeah. a like a really nice well-made jacket <clears throat> or a really nice just a well-made anything. It's just so satisfying to have something that does the shit it's supposed to do and you don't have to worry about it or think about it. That is one of the most satisfying. I would, I, growing up, 
my dad always wanted to buy the cheapest version of whatever. He would always like he would want to save money and he would want to buy the cheapest version of whatever the thing was. So we would conse- consequently in the house we would have all these like things that were like not working properly. <laughs> like he would buy like a blender that then like broke and the blade would like fly around on the inside of the <laughs> blender. Or... <laughs> and and that's or... why and that's why he specifically chose to adopt you. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess so. <laughs> We just my memory of my memories of of living in the house as a kid are just filled with things that had notes that were like, oh yeah, if you want to watch the TV, you have to jiggle you know, you this have and to, like, turn on that. Yeah, yeah, you have to like mess with the antenna, and then you got to like hit the power button and hold it for twenty seconds, and like it's just. And then you got to put every, your left foot in and take your left foot out. Yeah, I was just everything was just filled with this kind of thing. Like for some reason, like toilets that didn't quite work and you had to have a note on it which explained how to use it like <laughs> what's well, funny because that reminds me of you know my ex uh, a person i've lived with for 20 years uh, a russian named which mm-hmm. is of course why i was involved in the the trump russian scandal mafia. Yeah. <laughs> because she was sent here to to facilitate that she did a wonderful job uh but no i in all seriousness i uh i dated someone for 20 years who was from russia and she she taught me that same lesson you're talking about, and uh, it's funny because everything she owned was super high end, mm. like Louis Vuitton and you know things that just cost outrageous amounts of money. And mm-hmm. her philosophy, which I found to be sort of the opposite of the what I call like kind of the classic American approach, which is more like what you're describing. Yeah, she would rather have four items that were you know, like super, super nice and expensive than 30 items of, you know, average quality. So yeah. so if you were to look in her closet, she she didn't have that much. I mean, for especially for a woman of that age, you know, typically, I mean, hell, me. I mean, if you saw my closet, I mean, right now when I've cleaned it out so many times, I can't even tell you. You know, yeah. I have just a absolute insane amount of stuff and I'm, I'm embarrassed by that and in fact, I've, you know, I, I've changed my ways in recent years and I'm completely moving away from the materialistic, you know, approach to life, I would call it. But mm-hmm. it was just, it was refreshing and, and very almost jarring for me to uh, to discover that about her, to learn that about her. As an example, she had mm, like maybe six shirts, you know, like button down style shirts that she would wear to work as opposed to me having like 60. Yeah. You had you had a ton of variety. She would have like I have the best example of this. Yes, yes, and again they were just like super high end, you know, a shirt that would cost one hundred and eighty dollars for a, for an Oxford button down. Yeah, and she would wear that every week. Yep. As opposed to me, who was wearing things like maybe once a month, and yeah. uh, and she it was it was interesting because you know intuitively you'd think well that would get old quick. But it doesn't really, if you just have, you know, in terms of accessorizing and wearing with different things, it's just, it's amazing how you can make a small number of things appear to be a much larger number of those things by just mixing and matching. Yep. And I have thrown away, the money I've thrown away in my life is just absolutely terrifying. Like I would just go back and do all that all over again. Just because of buying a whole bunch of different shit, basically. Well, yeah, and buying things that I didn't need at all. Impulse purchases. I mean, I probably I, I, I shudder to think of how many things I purchased that I've never worn <laughs> oh, <no>. right now <laughs> at this moment. I probably have at least, at least eight to ten pair of athletic shoes that I've never worn. That you've never even put on. No, well, I mean, I put them on to try them on. You've never I, really worn. I've them never out. worn them, never out, worn of the them out of the house. I've never worn them out of the house. Man, at least, at least eight to ten. I may have fourteen or fifteen. But then why buy them? I, you tell me. I have no freaking idea because I just have. I had. I've thank God I've broken it. But I had this. Just I had a shopping problem. I you just, had this strong desire to just like I just I should just want to own. I want to own shoes. Yeah, I want to yeah. own. And not and you know I don't. I'm not sure that that's always a bad trait to have. Like if you're, I want to own real estate. Like you know that's the kind of thing that you could build a fortune with that type of a philosophy. But when it's yeah. like I want to own a, the next pair of Nike <laughs> I waffle own trainers. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that would be even better. But yeah, I want to own the latest pair of you know Nike Air. 
uh, yeah, that's stupid. That's just dumb. And yeah. that, that's me. Well, because it's just, it's just, it's, it's just shit. It depreciates. Like, it's oh, all, instantly. This yeah. Is, I mean, like, that's because the, what you described is the difference between buying assets and buying liabilities. Exactly. That, yep. Uh, buying shoes is a liability. I mean, look. Yep. Totally. Somewhere there's if if our audience is large enough, there's a sneaker head who's freaking out because they're like, you don't understand. You can buy sneakers and they appreciate in value because blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, some okay, of them look, do. That's that's true. But that's not what we're talking about. No, we're not. What, what we're talking about is there's there's just just buying stuff stuff versus for the what, sake of stuff. Yeah, for the stuff for the sake of having stuff. And you can really fall down a rabbit hole where that shit happens pretty quick. I mean, like, oh, yeah. There's just so much this apartment. There's so much clutter, and Gloria is always like freaking out about like we need to get rid of the clutter. And she's right. It's like there's just there isn't any reason necessarily to own that many things. That's why Marie Kondo has become such a popular thing. Oh on yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. Because it's just you, you, you just if if something doesn't. I mean, I think the idea of like it's supposed to spark joy is kind of ridiculous at a certain level. But like if you own something, is that one of her mantras? It's just more shit, man. It's just more stuff like this. I don't, you know. I think I think this is you could say this about so many things. It's like even cars are like this. Absolutely. Like even at some level, bikes are like this. If you don't really use them, like it just it, it you just have more things to then have to take care of, and that it just gets in the way of living your own life. You know, it does. It does. And 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 at a certain point, I think if you accumulate too many possessions, the possessions start to own you instead of the other way around. And it's it's interesting because I've had the random chance. I think it's probably the way the best description of it i've had the random chance opportunity to to know mm, i don't want to exaggerate it's not that many i'll say three or four or five people that i think are what i would describe as extremely wealthy people who literally not only do they not have to work another minute of their lives but you know their kids their grandkids like this this one family that i know I mean, they have so much money that one of their kids' full-time job that they created, the parents did, was your job is to figure out how we can give our money away. Wow. So literally this person spends, you know, I don't know how hard they go at that job, but their job is to find you know, yeah, uh, just philanthropy. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Exactly. That's the word I couldn't think of. Just yeah. Figure out a word way for us to become better philanthropists. We're going to pay you one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> no, literally, that's and my guess is they probably paid more than that to do it. And I, and it's interesting because the last time I saw the, the, the father of this family and these are just wonderful, the nicest people, uh, he told me that story. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, he mentioned his daughter's name and, you know, she's trying to find some candidates and blah, blah, blah. You know, we were looking for this kind of thing. And, and I thought, my God, could you imagine if that was if that was your concern? But my, yeah. I'm totally off my point. Ugh, my point I just my point, have too much money. My point, my point is this. How do I even give it away? <laughs> my point is this. There's a very serious point here. And that is, of all the people, you know, again, not like it's a lot, but of the people that I know that have a lot of wealth, none of them are happy. Really? None of them. And, and I think it's because at a certain point, the wealth becomes so dominant in the, in the lives of those people that it, 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 it affects everything, yeah. and, it, and you can't get away from it. Well, it's like a gravity distortion field. Yeah. Like everything, yes. the amount of capital that you have. I mean, this is, I hate to say this is going to get, this is going to get a little political, but like one of the points that I think Marx was right about was he was like- it, Groucho? <laughs> I was or, thinking or Harpo. Har- Har- Harpo. I was about to cite Harpo. Okay, <laughs> the great I... Harpo Marx. <laughs> It'll be like one of the one of the points that Marx was right about was he was like we we need to invert our thinking. These are people people don't have fortunes. Fortunes have people. That there's an amount of capital that exists, and people ser- ser- people service that capital. That's what happens when enough wealth gets concentrated in like one place and that and that actually kind of starts to make sense like when you you know you think like if you suddenly had all this money you're it would be a, it would be a problem for you where you'd be like what do I do with it how do I invest it where do I put it what kind of responsibility do I have how do I hand this down to my children like do I do I hand it down to my children how do we safeguard it do I put it in a just all these questions suddenly come up that like 
people who don't. And I'm not saying like, oh, you know, woe is them who have all this money. They got to deal with it. The point isn't to be like it's a it's you know, it's it's so much harder. It's just that it is actually a problem. And I think that that was an insight that was pretty smart that he had, which was that once it gets to some level, it's like now this is the whole thing is about that now. You can't just go. I mean, think about this. Like, you can't just go ride a bike. You can't just be like. I mean, I know enough trustafarian rich people from Boulder, Colorado, who are, you know, trust funders who basically spend their lives just like, yeah, I'm just gonna go ride around and stuff. But all of them have to contend with this idea that like they could have done something with their lives, and they had all the opportunities to do it, yeah, and and didn't do, and and instead they decided to check out and. I just know from friends of mine who I speak with is like that alone is frustrating to deal with. Now, is that more frustrating than having to work day in and day out to pay all your bills and mm, not sure yeah. about it? I I think that might be a stretch. <laughs> yeah. But right. But, but like the point is, is it's not nothing. These are these are people who I think like the 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 ability to probably have that money and have it well and not have it become its own source of tons of problems for you is is that's a difficult equation to solve. I mean, I was just thinking about this recently because you have so much money because I have so much money. No, but for the first time really ever, I'm in this position where I have this, you know, the market is is bad, but I have a decent job right now and I'm I'm stacking money away and I'm listening to investor friends of mine who are telling me like, hey, look, it's it's probably cash is king right now. You might as well just hang on to it because, you know, you're not sure where what the market's going to do or how is it going to do. And maybe you want to buy property. It might be a good time to buy property even. And I started thinking, boy, it would be cool to buy like a four unit, you know, building that I could then rent out as an income property or something. And then that brings its whole host of other things with it, which is like, do I want to fucking deal with that right now in the middle of a pandemic? And then how do I service that property? And then just all these other questions. And that's that's how the ability to have any kind of wealth and not have the headache is probably the biggest, the the bigger challenge of those uh, in that situation. Yeah, and then there's just so many additional elements even beyond the things you mentioned and what you mentioned, those things are all accurate. But things like, who's your, who, who do you trust anymore? You know what I mean? It's like, who, who's, your, who's actually your friend? Because mm-hmm. when you when people know you have money, it changes everything. You know, it just does. Yep. It just does. And there's a certain, you know, there's a certain number of, of people in the world who... <laughs> Luckily, I've never had to deal with that problem. <laughs> who Who are just looking for people with money and... And they might be they might be completely honest and well-intentioned people, but they're they're still modifying their behavior, you know, to to be in the in the orbit of the people with the money. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and and you know, you see that that sort of a dynamic play out all the time at like a country club. Yep. Where you've got people who are barely able to be members at a club. You know, they can barely afford it financially, but. They have this ambition, and they think, "Well, if I can just get my foot in that door, and uh, you know, meet those people." And there, I, you see that play out all the time in in real life, and it works. I mean, that can absolutely hell. You and I had a conversation. I recall this very clearly when I don't know when this was. I'll say a year ago, or maybe longer. And yep. you were talking about the idea of moving to New York, and we were just talking about the pros and cons of it. And you specifically mentioned, you know, some a specific social club. I believe that James Altucher Soho House yeah. had uh, had. I don't know if he turned you on to it or whatever. Yeah, but, he took. Yeah, it was Bill and I. He took to the Soho House in Manhattan. And you know, you said that it was a place where there were lots of people of influence, and and you know, you you were talking about that, um, you know, in an excited fashion. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm, I don't I don't mean to say. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just the same phenomenon that I'm talking about, which is, you know, you just wonder sometimes, like, is this person hanging out with me because they really like me or because they know I have all this money? And to me, oh, yeah. to me, that would be, that's something that I, I'm guessing is a bigger problem than you'd think it would be because you 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 get to the point where you probably don't trust hardly anybody. And, yeah. Yeah. Why would you? Because, I mean, you just have this, people are, people, I mean, think about this, man. This is a problem that hot women have to deal with all the time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you're just like, why are you? I mean, Dave Chappelle had this great point where he's like, I don't understand what it's like to be a woman. But I did give I did do a show once in Brooklyn in 1988. Yeah, you just told this story in the last podcast, the one about the money, taking the money back. to, And you said it's women walk around with twenty five thousand dollars between their legs all the time. 
Yeah, and that's exactly it. Is it's like, well, well, this, is somebody trying to be your friend because they want something from you, or are they just trying to be a nice person? And and it's weird because I think that, especially with my experience, like having made friends with people in New York who have like, you know, what nine figure net worths, <laughs> it's like they, to them, that's indistinguishable. Meaning, like, it just nobody doesn't want something from them at that level. Like, even if the person who they're talking with doesn't think they do, they have to truly not know them to, and not know anything about them right. to think that, 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 that they don't want anything from them. That's just the way that, that, the, that it operates. Yeah, you're which right. Is, which is kind of weird, but that's just how, and consequently, they've developed all of their defense mechanisms are based around that, that idea. Well, and how that manifests very often. And like you see this, uh, I can give you actual examples. You see this in a LeBron James scenario where LeBron James has surrounded himself with yep. – uh, there's a guy named Maverick Carter is one of the dudes. Uh, these are his childhood friends. I mean the people who were literally his childhood friends are the people who are his business executives now, the people who are in his you know his inner circle, and it's a very mm. small number of people. And Michael Jordan was like that. Um, you know, I mean it's, it's not an unusual thing because they think – you know, I knew these people, but these people knew me. I knew them before I had anything. Yeah. And so I know exactly who they are. And so, uh, you know, I think that's what lots of people do. And, you know, that makes sense. But let's get back to biking because we really haven't covered that. And um, yeah. so, so yeah, I, um, I got into bicycling probably about, I don't know, five or seven years ago and instantly really got into it, really enjoyed it. The workout is phenomenal. I mean, it's a, in my opinion, it's probably the most underrated physical workout of all. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of, like, for instance, this morning, right before we did this, before we started recording this, I, I rode my bike, and I'm looking on this wonderful app called Strava, which I highly recommend. And so I rode uh, 15.32 miles. It took me one hour and 15 minutes. And the point I'm getting to is I burned 736 calories. Dude, that's good. Good for you. 736 calories is a high amount of calories to burn in any workout. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really know the other workouts, but I mean, I, I have, I've, I've read some stuff, and it just feels to me like when you're done with a, a vigorous bike ride, you are, you are tired. I mean, you are spent. Oh yeah, dude. Because your body was. I mean, they measured this in in Boulder. All the guys who I know who are seriously on the bike. Uh, riding around, doing all kinds of different things. They they measure in wattage. Yep. How many watts of power did your body put out? That's on that or, app also. That's automatic. Yeah, I mean, it's nuts to think about that, but that's why is because it's your body is having to process so much. It's a sim it's similar to running, but the difference is that riding the bike is technically more efficient, meaning more oh, of your more. energy is actually being transferred into motion. Yep. So consequently, the more power you put out, the faster you go. It's not exactly like running. I mean, the same is true in running, but the the difference is that you can run really hard and actually not go that fast, and you can go really fast and actually not run that hard. Um, there's, you know, you can get very efficient with running, but you're the harder you pu push, basically, is just the more work your body's doing on the bike. Yeah, and you can just be dead, man. the The thing that I dig about it is that it you feel it's so it's unnatural in this weird sense, which is like human beings were never meant to go travel that fast. Yeah, and, exactly. And for, you know, all of human history <laughs> until somebody invented the penny farthing bicycle, I guess, or until you rode on a horse, I suppose humans like never really were supposed to go that fast. But the difference is like when you're on a horse, a horse is doing it. Right. When you're on a bike, you're the one doing it. And so it feels, I think there's something about it that feels like, so like liberating or like freeing like you're yeah, it's almost magical. flying next to the lake or something yeah, like it's that's almost what magical. I yeah I think it, I, I don't think it's too much to say that it's that it's like magical is that there's something because you're floating above the ground right and, and the part that for me makes it or the, the part about the experience that is I, I guess most unique to the activity itself is the time it's like it's a it's almost like a theory of relativity concept for me, which mm -hmm. is an hour and fifteen minutes on a bike feels about the same as uh, in terms of just the the actual passage of time, like a forty minute 
weightlifting workout or uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good another. I, I don't have another good analogy to use. But the point is, an hour and fifteen minutes on a bike, which is what I just did, it felt like half an hour. Yeah. And, and I think the reason for that is because, like, when you're in a gym and you're lifting weights, which I absolutely love to do, and I've been doing that, you know, one hundred percent faithfully since I was sixteen years old. I've been a member of a gym since I was sixteen, and I have been incredibly disciplined my whole life. I mean, I, 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 I mean, my my consistency rate probably is in the top one percent or two percent in the world. I'm not. My results haven't been because I'm just not genetically gifted, but my effort and my consistency have been there. Yeah, but you show up all the time. I always show up, no matter what. And, um, but, you know, there's a definite, like, there's a slog aspect to that. Like, you know, oh, shit, I got 20 more sets, or I'm not really in the mood for this today. You know, there's there's just this thought process that happens while you're working out. And usually I have a good time, and it, there's no negative associated with it, but sometimes there is. On mm. a bike, you're so, you're so inundated with stimulus that mm. you're constantly having to pay attention to what's going on. So you're looking down, you're looking at the road or the sidewalk or the path. You're always assessing the caliber of the road in front of you because you're constantly having to like, you know, maneuver your bike a half of a degree this way or that to avoid that rock or that crack or that person or whatever or that car. So your your mind is constantly engaged in the environment. Oh yeah, you have to be problem solving. It's it's really easy to get into a flow state. Yeah, ex that's probably the best way I've ever heard it characterized because that's exactly what it is. Is that your mind sort of sort of takes over? And yes, you do feel the physical exertion. Absolutely, you do. But you're you're so you're 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 so engaged in the experience that time just speeds up. And today it was really weird because you know I I I just got back into biking again like this just very recently. And the reason I did was because I can't go to a gym because the yep. gyms remain closed. And I, I stopped going to yoga back in September for other reasons, but I, I had been doing yoga on a incredibly, I did 600 yoga classes in three years, which is a hell of a lot of yoga. Dang, um, man. And, and yoga is just the opposite. Look, for me, yoga is the opposite of biking. In yoga, an hour feels like an hour. <laughs> or, or or an hour Sometimes and a half longer. Yeah. yeah, because you're stuck there, and the pace is never quite exactly what you want. It's either too fast or too slow, and you know that we talked in, about this on one of our other podcasts about you know that for the waste of the first five to seven minutes of the class, the oh, yeah. waste of the last <laughs> five to seven minutes of the class with the just uh, breathe in and breathe out, feel the feel the unifying vibes within the room. <laughs> uh, you don't have any of that crap on a bike. You're just nobody's, to... nobody's asking you what your intentions are when yeah. you get on your bike. I'd like you to all to set an intention and just let <laughs> it go and just feel the universe. Feel the universe. We're all the thing about it is is that we're all interconnected. All of us living things. You <laughs> that me, stuff just has to make your hair bristle so hard when you yeah, hear that. It's just so the opposite of me. But the bike is just the opposite of that. That's and so and that's one of the things I love about it is just that. It happens fast. It is an amazingly good workout. You feel great when you're done. And and for me, like my the weak link for me physically has always been my legs, my glutes. You know, those are just things that were hard for me to develop. And so when I work those things out hard, oh my gosh, like that just provides a level of satisfaction to me that I never get from you know like from a weightlifting workout. Because yeah. like you're like the best sensation for me on a bike is when you're climbing a hill. Your thighs have reached their aerobic capacity. They no longer feel like they're going to work, and you have another half of that hill to finish. Yeah, yep. <laughs> because there's no equivalent of that in a, for me at least in a, like a weightlifting workout. Like when I'm yeah, you just stop. You just stop. But on a bike, you don't have a choice. You've got to keep going. Yeah. And there's just something about that that I absolutely love is that you know you got, it's do or die. Like I can't stop. And then especially if like you're in a situation where like, there's some other a person can see what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like, yep. look at this bastard climbing this. So is he going to quit? You know, it's yeah. like, you yeah, know, exactly. that provides motivation. Like, you feel like this weird amount of pressure because you're like, I'm in public. Yeah. Like, I can't. Yeah. It's 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 funny. I had, um, I got two stories to relate. One is, um, you, you really do need to watch out when you're on a bike because all the bike I had. So part of the reason I wanted to talk about biking is I had two wipeouts yesterday, uh, two days ago. Two in on one ride? Two in one. Two within, literally, Uncle Mike, two within 90 seconds of each other. What? Uh, yeah. Well, I was riding along the lake, not the lake 
shore path in Chicago, just on the lake. Like there was the, the concrete lake barrier that was built that basically, you know, is just, is just the edge of the land into the water. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can, you can like walk along it. You can ride along it. Um, so I was riding along it. And the problem is that the, the lake has been really high and water has been w- w- lapping over the edges of it. So that, I mean, this is a wide, this is probably like 20 feet wide. It's really wide. Um, maybe even further, maybe 30 feet wide. It's a wide air area that people can walk around and, and et cetera. And, and there, there's a lot of like water that's been lapping up on the side. And consequently there's like algae and other stuff that's begun to grow on the edge of the, Ooh, of the concrete. That as it goes stuff out is to the lake. like oil. It's oh, it's so, so slick. So slick. And so I didn't. I was steering way clear of it. I didn't go anywhere near it. And as I'm riding, there's this lady and her kid and a dog that was on a leash. And the dog was on one of those extending leashes. Oh, yeah. And so I go to ride around them. And then the dog starts running over at me. And so I go further to get away from the dog. Because I'm basically going to hit it. And then I get right onto that stuff and just went right down. Just boom. Like no no time. I got on the green stuff. I slid sideways and I just went right down on my left-hand side. And it was a pretty hard wipeout. I was I was okay, but I mean I hit pretty hard, and I was like, oh, shit, man. I scraped my arm just a little bit. wasn't too bad, but it was pretty bad. And then I get back on the bike, and the lady didn't even notice. That was the only part that made me angry. Is like this lady and her dog like didn't even just didn't even notice that like I totally just her dog caused me to basically <laughs> like completely wipe out. Just. Other people were like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. And then she just looked at me and then just kept walking. And I'm like, what the fuck, lady? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I get back on the bike. I start riding. I'm I'm not even a, maybe 100 feet, maybe 150 feet from there. I'm onto a different trail, different sidewalk. And then my tire gets caught between two uh, concrete like slabs, like two concrete pieces. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Like Yes, it, I got, it just got a deep groove. Two, and then I just went right down again on the same side. Oh, my gosh. Just boom. And then I just, <clears> that <throat> one was rough. I scraped up my, my hip, my uh, my ankle, my calf, my left elbow. I mean, I'm just, I got bandages all over the left side of my body. And it <laughs> happened within like two minutes of like me going, I mean, like I was far enough away that the people who had originally seen me wipe out, like didn't see the second wipe out. <laughs> But I was like, what the fuck? And then I went straight from there. And the reason I was riding is I was going from the lake to the first CrossFit workout I've had in months. And you and show so up, walk you show up like that. Yeah, and I'm like bleeding. And like <laughs> they're like, what, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I don't have any bro- – I'm not broken. I just scrape. So I might as well just do the freaking workout. So I did the workout. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've had I've had some pretty serious crashes on my bicycle Um yeah, and that that algae stuff, like as you started to tell that, I knew exactly what you were going to say because until you experience that, you have no idea what that's like. And that exact same thing happened to me. There's a bike trail that runs along 275. Oh yeah, yep. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> this is I 275, the highway, just for everybody listening. Yeah, and which is the most heavily traveled section of highway in the state of Michigan, which is irrelevant because this path is well off of it. You know, it's it's like the cars are nowhere near you. Yeah. Uh, but there's, uh, there's, there's places, obviously, you know, low lying places or places that are not exposed to sun. And there's this one spot where water had accumulated on a paved path and it just sat there for some period of time. So long enough, and it was in shade. So long enough that, you know, like stuff started to grow there, like the algae that you described, that's exactly what it was like this thin layer of, of, uh, plant growth. And as I'm riding up on it, all I could see was, you know, the, the typical reflection of, oh, there's some water across the path there. But, you know, you're right. Like today when I was riding, I rode through yeah, whatever water. you ride across water, water ro- all the time. Yeah. I mean, I rode through a ton of water from sprinklers, but you know, that's, if it's just water, it's no big deal. But that algae growth is a whole different animal, and I didn't. That's my first encounter with it of all time. And here's what's really weird about it: this shows you how slick it is. I didn't do anything to cause like you'd think this would come into play if you were breaking on it, 
You know what I mean? You're applying your brakes. You're 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 expecting the bike to slow down. It doesn't. It starts to swerve. You know, the bike just becomes unstable. That's not what happened. I was just riding through it. I was yep. just riding, and it's so slick that like the minute that you know my body weight shifted like one degree off, perfect. You know, oh, yeah. normally it suddenly you just you're, you're, went down. sideways. Probably. I'm down. And the thing about it was, it was like the only time I've ever crashed on the bike, and I've crashed probably six, seven times, I would say hard. That's the only time I've crashed where I had no warning. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. didn't I didn't yep. prep, I did not prepare for it. Yeah. I just was just every other time it's like you get a moment where I'm gonna go down. Go, oh shit, here it comes. And, and then you, you kind of like it. brace yourself. Yep. But that same exact thing, which is that happened on that's it, it just it happens so quickly that you're in the middle of it you're like fuck i'm going down and then you're already down <laughs> you're not even bracing yourself yeah. yeah and i took like a really hard fall on an elbow and scraped the shit out of myself and and did it in that nasty like algae water and oh it was just and i, I got it all over like my shirt and my yeah it's my the same shorts exact, it's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened to me and it was just like, it was really gross it's because it's a hard. It's such a hard fall, man. Yeah. Because you're going the the, the thing that's doubly frustrating about it is because you think how high are you up on the bike? You're not that high. You it's high I mean? enough. High enough, and you're traveling forward at however fast you're going. Yep. And it's like if somebody just shot you out of a cannon. And you're landing on you, cement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fucking. It's the worst. Yeah, you're landing no on. To it. You're landing not not just cement, but like. In my case, I was landing on like broken, fractured cement that had ridges Ugh. in it. I mean, it was just nasty. Oh, man. But, this is like this but, is the but, worst. But bicycling really is awesome. And like, do you not use an app? Oh, I use Strava. Yeah. Oh, I'm you do? Yeah, I'm back on it. Oh, isn't it awesome? Dude, it's the coolest. And so, just so everybody understands, it's like a, it's like a social media app mixed with. Well, it's actually more like, pardon me, the pro- appropriate thing to say is it's more like a an exercise app that tracks your the, the path you take on your run or your walk or your ride, and mm-hmm. then it calculates things like calories burned and, and your mile splits and yep. what your elevation gain is. There's all the statistics from your... Uh, it's really sophisticated. And what's yeah. really cool, too, is that it'll show, you, it'll show you segments of your ride. Like, for example, if you ride, uh, you know, well... Really, if you ride at all, where anyone else has ever ridden, it'll show you, if you want to see it, it'll show you how your time compared to like the top thousand, or maybe that's an exaggeration, but let's say the top hundred times, like from this point to that point, and they have little names for them. Like, oh, yeah. Like, and, the, and I don't, you know, I'm guessing that whoever rode that first or second or third, you know, named the stretch, like it'll, you know, Dead Man's Curve. You know, like names like that or Newburgh Hill Climb, you know, things like that where you can see. And, it'll, and then when you have a personal best on that segment, it'll tell you that. And you yeah, get these it'll, little it'll awards. compare your time to everybody else's time or like yeah. best of the week or best of the month. And yeah, it's, and, and so, yeah, it's it's very it's pretty motivating. Cool, pretty cool little thing they built there. It really is. And then, and then it has the social aspect of, you know, you connect with people and then – when you just like on any other social app, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you know, when you post something, those people see your post and then they'll they'll give you kudos is what they call it. They'll give you kudos for your ride. And, you know, it's just kind of cool because you see what other people are doing. And it's really motivating because there's a dude. Actually, there's two dudes. Um, you know, I own a real estate company and one of the probably the most important vendor relationship that you have in, a, in the real estate industry as someone who sells real estate, well, there's twofold. One would be with a lender, but I'm not talking about that. The other would be with an inspector because having mm. a quality home inspector that you can refer to your buying clients is is so important because you have to use somebody that you trust, like, respect. You know, you have to have confidence that they're going to be able to, to, you know, to vibe with your clients and to be honest, to tell them the truth, blah, 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 blah. So over the course of literally now – approaching 30 years, I have used the same in two inspectors almost the entire time. And they are brothers, mm. Rick Rick and Bob Bowling. I don't know their ages, uh, but I'm going to say they are uh, 60 and 55, respectively. Wow. And, and when I met them, Rick, who's the older of the two, was, uh, was not in great shape. He was overweight. Um, you know, you'd call him fat. 
and super nice guy, super smart guy, super great guy, but you know, kind of oldish and kind of yeah, fat, health. fat and old. And and then one day, I hadn't seen him for a while, and he shows up at an inspection, and I hardly recognize him. I'm like, this dude has lost like 50 or 70 or 100 pounds in what feels like six months or a year. What? Really? Yeah. And it was all through... And, and I asked him. I said, so dude, what in the hell have you been doing? Because you look so... He looked, he looked easy 10 years younger, in addition yeah. to all the weight loss. And he said, I ride a bike now. And so, and this is, you know, this was years ago. This was one of my first like uh, encounters with somebody that sort of led me to ultimately get into it myself. And, uh, and this dude, I mean, you should check him out. You should, you should connect with the Monstrov. It's, uh, his name is Rick Bowling, spelled just like it sounds, B-O-W-L-I-N-G. His brother's mm. Bob. And the two of them are just freaking biking maniacs. When I, like they will ride uh, 85 miles in December in Michigan in a day, in, in a single what? ride, in a ride. I mean, they're yeah. like a, a, a short ride for them. I mean, they do shorter, but I mean, like a typical ride for them, I'll be 30 to 50 miles. You have These to, guys just really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. rides will be, the rides will be five hours or four and a half hours or seven hours. One mm. time they rode to Lake Michigan in one day. What? Yeah. From where I am, which is, uh, maybe that's an exaggeration. I, I recall they rode, uh, yeah, because that's more than a hundred miles, but they rode well over a hundred miles in one day. And yeah. Like my all-time record, I can tell you exactly what it was because I just recall what it was. It was like I think twenty, twenty-nine point three or twenty something. Like I did not get to thirty. My goal was thirty, and mm. that was so difficult. That was so hard, and I mean I was sore for days after that. I'm like, there are people who are doing this every day. Like there's a woman I met. Her name is Brooke Smith. Uh, and she lives in Seattle. And I met her at a real estate conference. And then somehow we just, you know, I saw her on Strava. We connected. She's riding 35, 30, 42, 28, what? 44, wow. 45, 27, just every damn day. And it's uh, like K- Casey Neistat numbers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, his his running is incredible. I mean, it's insane. He does like 10 miles a day, that guy. Or more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That dude, we should just do a show about him one day because you want to talk about easily one of the, you know, 10 most interesting people I've ever encountered in my life, you know, and I, of course, never met him. I'm just talking about his online activity. Yeah. What? A, yeah. You know, did, and I'm sure you're probably aware of like the the vi- the first video he made that was like really viral. Guess what it was, it was about him running into uh, police barriers in New on, York. A yeah. on a bicycle. Yeah. On a bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's and then he had. Oh, and he had that really nasty accident on a moped. Oh my god! Dude. He got hit by a car. What? Really? Oh, yeah. I oh, didn't know that. Oh, dude, go watch the video. Just go to his channel and look it up. But yeah, he uh, he has a video about it. And uh, yeah, he got hit by a car. He broke. I mean, a bunch of bones. He broke his leg. He broke his hip. He broke Jesus. all these things. They told him he may not walk normally again. Uh, he'd never run again, and I believe that he got into running, and he's a guy who's, like Brennan just mentioned, this dude runs like, you know, 10, 12 miles a day normally. Yeah. Uh, I think the reason he got into running was basically to prove those people wrong. I don't think he was it really sounds into like it. a Casey Neistat thing to do. It does. It's just like, nah, nah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's an, he is such an interesting dude. Um. But yeah, biking is biking is really really cool, and uh, you know I, it's the kind of thing that if you're not into it, it looks kind of dorky and stupid and lame, and you know for people who can't do other more vigorous things, like that's what I always thought until I got into it, and then, and then it's, it's like, like and you, it's just so addictive. Oh, did you by any chance watch the Lance Armstrong? Uh, I'm not even sure what it was called. It this 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 was just released within the last like two or three months. You have no. any idea what I'm talking about? No, 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 no. It's a multi-part show. I think it might have been uh, one of those ESPN 30 for 30, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I just, I just, that's the first thing that popped up when I just typed it into Google, 30 for 30. Yeah. It's time to get Lance, it's time to let Lance Armstrong go. Watch it. It is wow. really, really interesting. I mean, like, 
you think, I mean, I, I never had any real specific interest in him at all, you know, because yeah. I was, I'm not into like Tour de France or anything like that. But when you watch that show, it is truly fascinating on a whole series of levels. There's the, there's the personal level because he really is just one of the most interesting and psychologically, uh, you know, just complex, um, people because what's so interesting is you know throughout the course of this i think it's a two-part show um mm -hmm. they interview a ton of people most of whom are like his competitors or his teammates and they all almost all have the exact same perspective on him which is absolutely hate the motherfucker hate him but you know what he accomplished it's like incredible. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I mean, granted, it was all you know thrown away with all this drugging. But the thing about it is, is you watch that show, and it kind of changes your opinion on the drug part of it because all he was doing was, for the most part, what everyone was doing. Everybody so, else did yeah. too. So, yeah. so did he gain a huge advantage? Yeah, he did. But he was competing against other people who, many of whom, had the exact same advantage. So, it, you know, you could argue. Yeah. That, what, what did Bill Burr is like? Our roided up guy beat your roided up guy. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> But so, but the part I enjoyed most about watching that show was just seeing what he was like when he was young, because he was just a natural. Like first and foremost, he was a runner. Um, and he, I did not know that. Yeah, it's interesting. Neither did I. And he compete. Like I think the first time he competed in a triathlon, like a major triathlon, the very first time, I think they said he finished like fifth, and he was competing against world class, like the world class best in the world triathletes and he was some crazy young age like 17 or something and finished like fifth that's and nuts it is and then he went on to just you know he just he was like a phenomenon who and this is a whole part of his story that i never knew that you know all this pre tour de france part of his life is just really interesting i am um, i saw him once in uh, colorado he finished the race was like he was like the third finisher or something and or second and like he didn't even train he just came in second place and just for the hell of it yeah just to do it and so i was just there and i remember looking at him and going do i know this guy and then like because i was just standing at the finish line waiting for there's hardly anybody there it wasn't a super popular half marathon and uh there was a bunch of people walking up and talking to him and things like this and then he just like walked away and then Somebody rod bowls oh, came in like five Lance minutes Armstrong. later what'd you say and somebody said, oh, that was Lance Armstrong. Yeah, Rod Bowles was like, that was Lance Armstrong. He just passed me on on coming into the end. He just passed like a whole bunch of people, just really cranked it up in the last mile and, and passed everybody. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? That was him? And he was like, yeah. It was, and then he was gone by that point, but it was super witty. I mean, he walked right past me. That's crazy. That's right, right? Um well, I feel like we've uh, I feel like we've we've shot it. You need to get the the bike if you're listening to this. Get on it. Go yeah, ride it. Do it. Do it. You'll get some vitamin D to fight that uh, coronavirus. Yeah, and, and and that's another thing I love about it is it really is completely accessible to anyone. I, I think almost literally at any age. Like today when I was out riding, I passed a couple. Those probably I don't know, fifty five, sixty years old, a couple, and they were just riding together, riding very casually. You know, going slow. Um, but, you know, they're talking, they're having a good time. And then I get passed by, like, these three guys who are, God, they had to be older than me. And, you know, when you see a ser serious bicyclist, you know it because, you know, they, they wear the right clothing. Like, I don't oh, wear yeah. official biking clothes. I wear, I wear bike shorts because another thing you learn about biking, if you do it seriously, is you kind of have to wear the bike-specific shorts that have the, the girdle or whatever yeah, you call it. Yeah, the chamois. Yeah, the exactly the chamois. It's called a chamois, which is a weird name for that. But yeah, it's got padding that you know you get saddle sore from riding a bike if you ride too far. Oh, yeah. I mean, I which just, is I, when I when I was really really into a lot of competitive riding, I just couldn't even couldn't even get couldn't even get it up, dude. Couldn't get a boner because what? I was dealing with <laughs> really. Yeah, because I was just riding so much. It was just but and I went to the doctor and he was like, oh yeah, they know that'll happen. It'll damage your nerves down there. Like they'll oh, he's really? like they'll 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 come back. Don't worry about it. But. Oh wow! Like, I didn't. I yeah. didn't know that. Although it makes perfect sense because yeah, yeah, you're you're basically exerting heavy pressure on on your taint, basically. Yeah, but right there. <laughs> uh, and and for you know maybe several hours and exerting massive amounts of you know of strain, and uh, yeah, I could see why that would happen. But but it's it's accessible to everyone, 
Despite the wipeouts and the lack of being able to get an erection. Other than the fact that you're going to crash and maybe break a bone, also you can't have sex anymore. Other than that, it's just the best. It's great. Well, it's kind of like meth, you know, kind of like meth. You got to make a sacrifice. If you're going to be serious about it, you got to pay the price. I mean, decide in advance which teeth you want to lose and which you want to keep. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, This is a good one. It's a good topic. Yeah. Uh, I think we got to get back to politics, though, because my guess is that no one. I'm guessing the only person listening at this point is Ali. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like he and he's thinking, you know, I told Brendan uh, to get away from the politics, but I may have been premature in that assessment. (laughs) Maybe I said that a little too soon. (laughs) I was like this right here is like watching paint dry. Oh, boy. Uh... It wasn't like watching paint dry. Well, maybe latex. I'm not sure. All right. Well, uh, hopefully you liked it as much as we did, guys. Yeah. Everybody have a great day. And, uh, you know, don't catch the virus. And, you know, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to make I – don't, I don't even know what to say anymore. We can't say anything anymore, can we? Not really. <laughs> nope. No. Let's just – let's just try to get out of, out of this alive and minimize any further social justice damage. Have a great day, everyone. Get on your bike. <laughs>